This morning we're starting a new four-week series called Growth. We're going to ask the Lord to show us from Scripture some of the principles that are involved in growing spiritually, growing in our in our walk with the Lord. And over these four weeks, I'm going to relate spiritual growth to our growth as people, as human beings, our physical growth and our development in other ways. And to help you just begin thinking about that, I want to show you some photographs that give you a sense of my physical development over the years. In 1958, as an infant, that's what I looked like. That's me with my mom and dad all those decades ago, young guys, all those years ago. Now, a little time passed. Dad got home one day from working in a coal mine. I'm a few months older, so I'm starting to change a little bit. Let's keep going. All right, there I am with my sister and uh, got a bucket. I think it was a lard bucket. For those of you old enough to remember what a lard bucket is. And uh, then uh, we always had ponies and horses on the farm. And I'm on the right with my sister, my brother on the ground, and then a cousin. And now I guess that's middle school, about that age or whatever. And I'm just going to stop there because it only gets worse after that. We all understand from our own experience as human beings that as years pass, we grow physically. Whether we want to or not, things change, right? I mean, they they really do. You can't stop it. It's automatic. As time passes, it happens. Spiritual growth should also be automatic, but it isn't. And I want to help us start thinking about that for a moment by asking you, how long have you been a Christian? I want you to think back to the time you gave your life to Christ and became a Jesus follower. When was that? How long ago? How many years ago was that? Do you have it in mind? How many do we have in here that have been a Christian for, say, 50 years or more? Raise your hand. Be proud. Wave at us. Would you give these three that I'm seeing here a hand? May we all reach the point that we have served Jesus faithfully for five decades or more. If you've been a Christian for, say, at least 20 years or longer, would you raise your hand? At least 20 years or longer. Amen. God bless you. You've been a follower of Jesus for at least 10 years or longer. Raise your hand. All right. Now, all of you who were 20 or 50, your hand goes up too because you've more than 10. So more than 10, put it up, okay? All right. Now, if you've been a follower of Christ, a Christian, for less than 10 years, raise your hand. For less than 10 years. Amen. We're glad you're here. Now, here's the thing. How much you have grown as a follower of Christ is not tied very much to how long you've been a Christian. Now, obviously, the longer you're a follower of Jesus, the more opportunity you have to grow. But years do not guarantee growth in the spiritual realm. And we all know people who've only been saved 10 years, 15 years, that have grown as much, if not more, than some people who've been saved for 30 years or 40 years or even longer. I mean, yes, longevity gives us the opportunity for growth, but it does not guarantee growth. So here's the question. If spiritual growth, our development as followers of Christ, is not dependent primarily on years, what does it hinge on? Well, that's what we're going to look at these four weeks 
together. So I invite you to open your Bible to the book of 1 Peter in the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 2. Now, here's a little background for what we're going to read and study this morning. Peter, who wrote this letter in the Bible called 1 Peter, was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. He um, is writing to Christians who lived in the, the region that today we would think of as Turkey. A different man, the Apostle Paul, earlier had planted churches in that country. And then those churches had planted other churches. And so most of the Christians in that region would have thought of the Apostle Paul as their spiritual father. But Peter is writing a letter to them. They are being persecuted by the Romans and by others. It's about 35 years after the time of Jesus. And the Apostle Paul, their spiritual father, about three years before this letter was written, had been executed as a martyr for the faith by the Romans. Peter, in all likelihood, is in the city of Rome, and he writes this letter to these believers who probably were shaken by Paul's execution and they're dealing with their own persecution. He writes this letter to encourage them and he tells them to stay strong in the faith during the ordeal, their suffering. But he also encourages them in the midst of it to grow, to grow spiritually, to grow in their relationship with Jesus. And look at what he said in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting with verse 1. He says, therefore, pointing back to chapter 1, and we'll talk about that in a minute. He says, therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. In these two verses, in the context of this letter, he gives us several insights into what our spiritual growth is dependent on. If it's not a matter of just being saved a long time, if that doesn't guarantee growth, he tells us here what does guarantee spiritual growth. And some of these are going to be basic. Others of them will surprise you a little bit. Some of the basic ones is this. The first one is, the first one is that if we're going to grow spiritually, we have to cooperate with God. Well, that makes sense. If you're always battling God, always fighting God, always arguing with God, you're probably not going to grow very much. If you're disobeying God, not wanting to listen to Him and do what He says, you're not going to grow. So cooperation with God is one of the things that has to happen if we're going to grow as Christians. Notice He says in verse 1 that we are to put off, take off malice and envy and slander. It's the picture of, of changing clothes. You're wearing a shirt, you're wearing a jacket, you're wearing pants. Take them off. The New Testament often says as Christians there are certain things we are to take off and other things we are to put on. So here take off things like malice and envy and so on. And then he says simultaneously with that, like a little baby, you are to long for the milk of God's Word which will feed you and help you to grow. Now, here's the thing. Both of those are things that I, I can, I'm the only one that can do those for me. You can't take habits off of me. I'm the only one that can do that. You, you can't long and hunger for God's Word for me. I'm, I'm the only one that can do that for me. And guess what? I can't take any bad habits off of you. 
And I, I cannot long for the Word of God for you. These are things that only we can do for ourselves. And it means we're responsible for it. And so God is saying to us, you are supposed to take certain things off and simultaneously with that, long for the truth of God's Word. Study it, etc. Well, that's your responsibility. That means if you're going to grow, you have to do what God is saying. You have to cooperate with God. And if you're not willing to cooperate and follow the instructions He gives, you're not going to grow. If you're not willing to cooperate with God and, and try to grow using the disciplines that He tells you to use, you're not going to grow. So cooperation is critical to growth. Cooperation with God. Now here's a second lesson. We need to have, as verse 2 says, a, a strong hunger for the Word of God. For the Bible, he says, like newborn babies, long for this pure milk of the Word. Now, you young parents, when your babies are hungry, do you know it? Hmm? Do they have a way of letting you know it? I remember when Stephen, our, our firstborn, was an infant. That boy, when he woke up in the morning in his crib... It would not take him one second to stand to his feet, latch on to the railings of the crib, and begin screaming to the top of his lungs, and he would not stop crying until we stuck a bottle in his mouth. And so we always kept them prepared in the fridge, got them ready, and we would run as fast as we could, get the temperature just right, and stick it in because there was no peace and quiet until we did. Any of you have any kids like that at all? Anybody in the room? Okay, all right. Well, that's the image. God is saying that as disciples, as Christians, if we want to mature in the faith, we need to have that kind of hunger for His Word. It's enthusiastic. It's consistent. It's frequent. Babies like to eat all the time. I mean, it's just nonstop with them when they're healthy and when they're growing. And so it says you as a Christian, if you want to grow, have that kind of longing for the pure milk of the word, God's Word. Pure meaning it has no impurities in it. It won't make you sick. It won't lead you astray. It will make you healthy and strong. And he says at the end of verse 2, so that you can grow in respect to salvation. If you want to grow as someone who is saved, as a Christian, becoming more like Christ, then his Word is critical to it. So Bible study, Bible reading, Bible memorization, important to your growth. But. I want to sound a caution. I want to sound some warnings. Because if when you read this passage, you think that all you have to do to grow as a follower of Jesus is study Scripture, you're mistaken. That's not what he says. And it's practically speaking not true. Is it necessary? Yes. How many of you have known someone who could quote Scripture forward and backward, but they were a nut? Anybody? How many of you known people who would argue to their blue in the face over crazy stuff in Scripture? They read it. They studied it. They knew it. They went to church every week, but when it comes to relationships, they were always a jerk. How is that becoming more Christ-like? Because if you want a yardstick 
to measure spiritual development is as you get into the Word of God and He works in your life, you become more like Christ. And that shows up in how you deal with people. That shows up in how you react to experiences and circumstances in life. The best measuring stick for spiritual growth is are you becoming more like Christ and in particular are you becoming more like Jesus and how you deal with people in this world. If you think, listen, if you think it's just the Word of God that helps you grow, you're not going to grow nearly as much as you think you are. Is the Word of God necessary? Yes. But remember the very first, the very first point, we have to cooperate with God. So if we're not cooperating with what God says about relationships, about forgiveness, about attitudes, about speech, where's the growth? We can fill our heads with Bible information. So what if it's not transforming how we live and how we interact with others? So spiritual growth is about so much more than just learning Scripture. Now, here's the next two points that are important if you're going to grow because the first one's cooperate with God. The second one is have a hunger for the Word of God. The next two will surprise people a little bit because the third one is we have to treat people the way God expects us to. In other words, if you and I are not growing in how we treat people, becoming more like Jesus in how we deal with people, we're not growing. Even if we're studying the Bible all the time, if it's not changing how we deal with people, we're really not growing the way we think we are. Now, look in your Bible again at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Verses 1 and 2 are not two separate sentences. They are one sentence. In the Greek text, it's one sentence. In your English Bible, it is one sentence. There is not a period at the end of verse 1. Verses 1 and 2 go together as one long sentence, as one thought connected together. And, and many of us, when we first got saved, verse 2 is one of the verses we were told to memorize because it illustrates the importance of Scripture for growth. I remember when I was young and saved as a new Christian and learned it in the King James translation, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Some of you, that's how you still quote it. But if you take that verse in isolation from verse 1, you don't fully understand what verse 2 is really saying because it's one sentence and you're just taking the last part of a sentence out of context. They go together as one sentence. And verse 1 is all about how we treat people, isn't it? He said the thing that we are to take off while we are simultaneously hungering for the Word of God so we can grow, we are to be taking off parallel to that at the same time taking off malice, envy, slander, gossip, however your Bible translates those phrases, deceit, insincerity, hypocrisy, all of those deal with relationships, how we treat other people. Now, notice verse 1 begins with what word in our English translations? What's the first word of verse 1, church? Therefore or so. In other words, because of what comes before all of chapter 1, but in particular the last paragraph of chapter 1, which begins at verse 22. 
because of what's written in verses 22 to 25. Therefore, take off this stuff that hinders relationships. And while you're doing that, hunger for the Word of God, one thought. And if you do that, you'll grow. Verse 22 of chapter 1, since you have in obedience to the truth, the truth is God's Word. You'll see that clearly in a moment. Since you have in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. Then he goes on to describe the truth that they've believed. For you have not been born again of seed which is perishable, seed that decays, but imperishable, lasts forever. That is through the living and enduring word of God. Verse 24, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls off. We get old, get weak, and die. But in verse 25, the word of the Lord endures how long? Forever. This is the word which was preached to you. In other words, he is saying that when you became a believer, it's because you responded to the truth of God. You responded to the word of God. And one of the transformations that happened in your life when you responded to the truth of God, the Word of God, is God began changing how you deal with people. How you feel about other believers. And later in this book and in 2 Peter, how you deal with ungodly people and unchurched people. Therefore, because that's what you believed. That's what happened when you got saved. Take off this stuff that hurts people, injures people, that kills relationships. And at the same time, hunger for the Word of God. Because only when you merge those two truths do you begin to experience what God considers real growth in your life as a Christian. And so that leads me to the fourth point. Growth happens best in a relational environment. See, sometimes we tell ourselves, if I just go on retreat or if I just, I'm always by myself in the kitchen or my study and I'm really getting into deep Bible study and I'm studying the Word of God and I'm studying the Word and it's just me and it's just me, that matters. That, that's good. But if that is not showing up in relationships, there's not much to it. That if it's genuine growth that's going to show up in how you deal with people, how you think about people, talk about people, your engagement with people at church, instead of pulling back and hiding and running from the people of God, you get in there and you hang in there and you work through the messes that sometimes come when people are in relationships. Because if you run, you remove yourself from the very place where God could then take His Word and produce in you some significant growth. It happens best in a relational environment. You can't put into practice what he is saying here if you hide from people because you've got your feelings hurt. 
If you hide from Sunday school and you hide from small groups and you hide from ministry teams and you hide from the church because something didn't go your way or somebody did something that bothered you and so you withdraw and you isolate yourself, you limit what God can do in your life. You limit the growth that is even possible in your life when you do that. Because God uses the crucible of relationships when combined with the truth of His Word to grow us. And that doesn't happen on a spiritual retreat. That doesn't happen by staying home on Sundays. That doesn't happen by isolating yourself from the people of God. You see, we we know this. Relationships are not always easy because people, all of us, me, you, all of us, on some level, to some degree, are kind of messed up. Right? And we're all going to get our feelings hurt. Each of us are at times going to hurt somebody else's feelings. And what God is saying, it is in the context of that family relationship as brothers and sisters in Christ when you allow His Word to work in you in the midst of that that you have the opportunity to experience growth. How can you learn to forgive if you always run away? How can you learn to be patient If you're isolating yourself, how can God teach you the the characteristics that he says are to be a part of his children if you're not engaging in relationships with his children? Because let's be honest, it's not easy, but it's, it's critical to growth. How can you learn to say, I'm the one that was wrong and I'm sorry? if you're always hiding from God's people. God says, there's a stronger connection between your being in relationships with my people and growth than than you normally think about. And, and, And by the way, brothers and sisters, when Jesus was teaching, as recorded in the Gospels, what did Jesus say is the way that people in this world would know we are his disciples? By what? In this will men know that you are my disciples in that you have what for one another? Well, isn't that the same thing Peter said here? Well, if you're not learning how to love, and by the way, love means forgiving. Love means working through the struggles. Love love means getting better at how we talk about people and how we talk to people. Love, Love means working through that stuff. That's growth. On some level, we know that intuitively when it comes to marriage. If you never try to work through stuff, you're not going to grow as a couple. But the same thing is true in your Christian life. Because spiritual growth is not just about how much Bible you know and how spiritual you feel when you have a mountaintop kind of spiritual experience. Ultimately, Christian growth will show up in how you treat people. And God uses that to give you the opportunity to grow or not. 
by how you respond to it? Are you willing to cooperate with what he says when relationships get messy as they inevitably do? Now, I want to give us an, an example from the life of Peter to see this come together because Peter's the one who wrote this letter. So let's just look at an example in Peter's life. It's found in the second chapter of Galatians. Now, a little background for Peter. Peter was a Jew who became a disciple, a follower of Jesus. He was raised with all the cultural thinking that a Jew in the first century would have had. Jews wanted to be pure spiritually, so they would do certain things and not do certain things. And as I've said before, a Jew would not eat pork, just like many conservative Jews won't do that today. Jews would not, if they were religious in Peter's day, would not eat meat if it had been sacrificed to an idol. Jews would only eat meat that when it was killed had had the blood drained in a very particular manner. And therefore, Jews, for the most part, would not eat meals with Gentiles because they would become religiously defiled and have to go through this whole process to get right with God again. Peter had all that baggage. Most of the Jews in Jesus' day thought that God was just for Israel and nobody else. Peter and the other disciples struggled with that. And when Jesus said God loves Gentiles as much as Jews, that was, that was revolutionary for them. And they, they struggled to, to change. And, and the church in Jerusalem struggled to change their mindset. But Peter was growing. Wasn't perfect but he was growing. And in chapter 2 of Galatians, Peter has an experience where he, he messes up. Um, the Apostle Paul, who had started most of those churches in Turkey that Peter is now writing this letter to, had finished his first missionary journey and had returned to his home church in Antioch a church that was largely Gentile Christians, but some Jewish Christians in it. It was a mixed church, okay, Jews and Gentiles who became followers of Jesus. And he and Barnabas were sharing with the church all God had did on their missionary travels through what today we call Turkey. Peter came from Jerusalem up to Antioch to hear about the report because he knew Paul. He wanted to, he wanted to celebrate with him. And so that's the setting for Galatians chapter 2, when it says in verse 11, when Cephas, Peter's other name, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Paul says Peter was wrong, and I confronted him about it. What did Peter do that was so wrong? Verse 12, prior to the coming of certain men from James, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, where they still had all this, even though they were Christians, they still had all this Jewish baggage they were struggling to overcome. Some of those people came up later to the church at Antioch to, hear, to see what was going on. Before they got there, Peter would sit down and eat dinner with all the Christians in the church at Antioch, he'd eat with the Jewish Christians. He would eat with the Gentile Christians. They were all hanging out together, eating together. They had overcome all that cultural and religious past stuff. 
And Peter was right in there with them, fellowshipping and eating with them. But when these from Jerusalem came up who had not overcome that baggage and they started making a scene, Peter became intimidated, worried about what they would think, and he withdrew from fellowshipping with the Gentile Christians, from eating with the fellow, eating with the Gentile Christians, and it became a big controversy in the church. And it says in there that all the Jews, which is referring to Jewish Christians, also pulled away, segregated themselves from all the Gentile Christians. And so you had this divided church, Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians, because the Jewish Christians would not eat and fellowship with the Gentile Christians, and Peter fell right into that. And it was so bad that even Barnabas, who had traveled with Paul on that first missionary journey to all those Gentile cities preaching the gospel and had seen everything God had done in that Gentile world, Barnabas went along with them. It became a a divisive issue. Now this is a, a moment when Peter messed up. But I said he was growing. Because a few years before this, Peter had another experience. It's found in Acts chapter 10 when God got hold of Peter and said, Peter, I love Gentiles. Peter was sleeping on a roof. We looked at it back in the summer, and this sheet comes down from heaven with all these animals in it of unclean animals that Jews were not supposed to eat. And God said to Peter in that vision, don't call anything I've created unclean. And then God sent Peter to the house of a man named Cornelius who was a Gentile, a Roman soldier, and he shared the gospel and his whole family was saved. And all of a sudden Peter realized that the gospel was not just for Jews, it was for Gentiles, and there was no dividing line between Jews and Gentiles. Jesus brought them together. Fast forward to Galatians 2, and it's like Peter for a moment forgets what God had already taught him, and he backslides. This controversy became so bad that Paul and others from Antioch in Acts 15 traveled to Jerusalem and they had a big church conference, if you will, of all the church leaders and they debated the issue and they settled the issue publicly and formally that the gospel was for everybody and Gentiles did not have to be circumcised and become Jews before they become believers in Jesus. And in that critical moment in the history of the church, Peter stood up and said to everybody, remember what happened to me years ago with Cornelius? He defended Paul. He stood for the truth. And so Peter's growth was like this. Because listen to me, brothers and sisters, growth is not steady and constant. Growth, growth is fluid. It looks more like that. Because this experience in Galatians 2, when Peter messed up, is sandwiched in between the events of Acts 10 and 15 when Peter got it right. So he was like this. Now here's the thing. Growth is not flat. Growth is not down. Growth is steadily up, but in your going up, you're going to have some momentary lapses. But in each of these moments in Peter's life, the first one when he got it right, the second one when he got it wrong, and the third one when he got it right, all of them happened 
in the context of being with people. And God used the fact that Peter was placed into uncomfortable situations with people, with God's people, with lost people, to change him, grow him, mature him. And that's why I'm saying growth happens best in a relational environment, not in isolation, not just in your study at home alone doing Bible study. Don't go out of here and say, Steve said we're not supposed to study the Bible. No, that's the furthest thing from the truth. I'm saying if that's all you do, you're not growing like you think you are. Because if it's real, God's changing you, and it's hard to learn how to do all this stuff. You can't put this stuff into practice if you're not with people. You can't do this stuff in isolation. And guys, to grow means that sometimes we have to overcome some of the baggage of our past. And God will use the messiness of life with people to help us confront the baggage of our past. We also have to be teachable. Because if we already know it all, we're not open to growing. One more way I know Peter grew. After that bad experience where he messed up, sandwiched between the two times he got it right in his growth journey, a few years later, after the Apostle Paul, who is the one that confronted him here, and this one time he messed up, a few years later, when that same Apostle Paul had been killed by the Romans because he was a follower of Jesus, Peter is the one who picked up the mantle and did everything he could to encourage the people in the church that Paul had started in Turkey or in here, Galatia, Cappadocia, Pontus, and the surrounding region. Peter kept growing. And it showed up, not just in his writing two books of the Bible, but in what he was doing to help the very people that at one time he struggled to even want to hang out with. That's growth. That's growth. See, when you disengage from the family of God, you stunt your spiritual growth. You can't love people. You can't forgive people. You can't develop the character you need to be in good relationships with people if you're never with people. And so for those of you who wonder, why do I encourage you to get bought, plugged into a Sunday school class or a small group or a ministry group? It's because it's not just about you being here and about you serving. It is about you growing. And if you're not plugged into ongoing relationships with other Christians where you can open up and you can do life together, even when it gets messy, you are not growing nothing like you think you are. And you're not growing anywhere near as much as you could.
That's how God grows us. Well, I'm going to go back to those pictures of me in a collage, some of them, and I added one. Doesn't matter what I do. Doesn't matter what I want. Doesn't matter how hard I try anything or don't try anything. As the years pass, I'm still going to change. And 20 years from now, if God allows me to live, I'll look differently than I do today. My hair won't be salt and pepper. It'll be all salt or all gone. I'm not sure which. It just happens. But listen, brothers and sisters. Some of you have been a Christian for years. But spiritually, you're still a baby. Some of you have been Christians for 20 years. But spiritually, you're like a child. Some of you have been Christians for 30 years. But spiritually, you're like a teenager. There are people who've been saved a long, long time that still act like babies. You see, just as we change physically, when we grow spiritually, we also change. We're going to pick up with this thought next week. And that shows up most in how you deal with people. And your growth happens best in relationships with other people when you join that with your study of God's Word. So what is God telling you this morning you need to change? You need to begin doing? Is there an attitude God's trying to correct? A behavior He's trying to correct? A decision He's asking you to make? What is God saying to you? Let's stand. We invite you to come to the front. Get on your face before the Lord to kneel or sit in one of these chairs and pray. And I want to challenge you to identify that one thing that God's asking of you right now. Come and say to Brother Steve or myself, I want to pray with someone. We have a counselor who will be glad to pray with you. If you want to join this church, come. If you want to give your life to Jesus, come. So let's sing this song and you make your decisions for Christ right now.